What does it mean to be born again? For some, it implies a literal rebirth from the womb, whereas others think it's the name for a bunch of overzealous believers. <laughs> well, Nicodemus confronted Jesus and asked him just that question. Welcome to Every Last Word, a radio and internet program with Dr. Philip Ryken, teaching the whole Bible to change your whole life. Our Message of Salvation series continues today with a sermon titled, Born Again. In our message, Jesus explains to Nicodemus what it means to be born again. Phil, today we tackle the subject of being born again. Well, that title has taken on many meanings in our culture. Could you perhaps give us a, a working definition of what it truly means to be born again? Sure, Mark. You know, being born again or the new birth or regeneration, as theologians sometimes call it, is a work of God the Holy Spirit. It's a complete spiritual transformation which enables us to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. And we'll be looking at the famous teaching of Jesus to Nicodemus when he said, you must be born again. Well, is there a difference between a Christian and a born-again Christian? We've heard some people outside the faith make that distinction. You know, we do hear that in our culture uh, quite frequently, don't we, Mark? It's one thing to be a Christian, but then when secular people start talking about somebody who's a born-again Christian, uh, that seems to be a very different uh, category. You know, in biblical terms, the only kind of Christian there is is a born-again Christian who has experienced the new birth by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I think when people say that in our culture, they're making an important distinction between people who are Christians and call themselves Christians, perhaps, and people who are outspoken about their faith in Jesus Christ. If people want to call me a born-again Christian because I'm outspoken about my faith, well, I think that's a good thing. It shows, perhaps, that uh, people recognize that I stand for Christ. But in any case, the only kind of Christian there is, is a born-again Christian. Okay. Thank you, Phil. Turn in your Bible now to John chapter 3, and let's listen to God's Word for us today. We've been having a series of sermons on the message of salvation. And we have been discovering that salvation is about what God has done by His grace to save us from our sins. The message of salvation is all about what Christ has done for the Christian, especially through His cross. Therefore, the message of salvation does not call attention to our spiritual experience primarily, but to God's expression of his divine love in Christ. And yet, in salvation, the benefits of Christ are actually transferred to the Christian. Salvation is not simply a past event, but also a present reality. And somehow that redemption, which has been accomplished by Christ, must be applied to the Christian. What is his must become ours. And this is the work of God's Spirit, who enables us to believe the message of salvation and thereby to receive grace through faith. And that saving work of God's Spirit begins with the new birth. And perhaps the first person ever to hear Jesus teach about the new birth was a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, a 
group of 70 religious leaders who governed God's people from Jerusalem. He was a great man, a scholar, a teacher. And this Nicodemus was curious about Jesus of Nazareth. It was becoming more and more obvious that this Jesus was a man from God. He taught such magnificent truths and performed such stupendous miracles. Nicodemus wondered who he was and what he had come to do. He came to Jesus at night. This is John chapter 3, verse 2, and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. This is phrased as a statement, but I think it was really more of a question. Nicodemus wondered about Jesus' true identity. The question on his mind, even if it was a question he could not quite bring himself to ask, was this, is Jesus the Savior? Though it was only implied this was the first of three questions Nicodemus posed to Jesus. There's a question in verse 2, certainly a question in verse 4, and then again in verse 9. And in his answers, Jesus taught three fundamental truths about regeneration. He explained the necessity, verse 3, the possibility, verses 5 through 8, and the availability, verses 10 through 15, of the new birth. In his first answer, Jesus taught Nicodemus that the new birth was necessary for salvation. Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about the kingdom, he was looking forward to the future. In one sense, of course, Nicodemus was already in the presence of the kingdom right then and there, even though he didn't realize it. Since Jesus is the king, whenever and wherever he comes, the kingdom comes. Jesus was also looking forward to his eternal kingdom when he would come in all of his kingly glory. Thus, he was speaking to Nicodemus about eternal life and saying that no one can gain it without being spiritually reborn. It takes a new birth to see the new world. Jesus was warning Nicodemus that he had to be born again to be saved. Now, that was hardly the answer that Nicodemus expected. He was there to examine Jesus, not to be examined by him, Oh, he was willing to treat Jesus with respect. He acknowledged that he was a teacher. He praised him for his miracles. He recognized that he was doing God's work. He even called him rabbi. Yet Nicodemus wanted to retain the right to judge Jesus for himself. He was evaluating Jesus by his criteria. Of course, Jesus responded by turning the tables on Nicodemus. Rather than submitting himself to the judgment of a mere human being, he confronted Nicodemus with God's requirements for him. The real question was not whether Jesus was the Savior. Obviously, he was. The real question was whether Nicodemus was saved. This is a reminder that there is more to salvation than recognizing Jesus as a good teacher and a miracle worker. Jesus demands more than our respect. He demands our total spiritual transformation. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. 
This was a remarkable thing to say to a man like Nicodemus, who thought that he already had every assurance of salvation. Nicodemus was a Jew, a member of God's covenant people. He was a Pharisee, a man who kept God's law down to the smallest detail, and he was also Israel's teacher, one of the leading biblical scholars of his day. And yet for all that, Nicodemus had not gone far enough. And with one short sentence, Jesus dismissed everything on his spiritual resume and warned him that he still lacked that one thing God requires for entrance to his eternal kingdom. And that is the new birth. It stands as a warning to every religious person. It doesn't matter what family you come from, what church you attend, what doctrinal position you hold. It doesn't matter how smart you are, or how much of the Bible you know. You must be born again. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be born again? The word Jesus used for born is the word ganao. It's the origin of the English word genesis. It can refer either to the action of the father to beget or to the action of the mother to give birth. In either case, it refers to the generation of a new life. Jesus used the term in a spiritual sense. He was telling Nicodemus that he needed a new spiritual life. The new life might be defined, these are the words of Bruce Demarest, that as that radical change of nature from spiritual death to spiritual life wrought in us by Christ through the power of the Spirit. And what is important to emphasize is that the new birth is not simply a new beginning, it is a whole new life. Now, like the word born, the word many versions translate as again has two meanings. The Greek term anothen refers to something repeated. From it is derived the English word another. And so to be Born again means to be reborn or to be born anew. And obviously, this is what Nicodemus understood Jesus to be saying. Notice his objection in verse 4. It's that a man cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb. You can see where we get the theological term regeneration. If the word for born means generation and the word for again means another or again, Jesus was telling Nicodemus he needed a regeneration, another genesis. There is another way to translate this word anathen, however, not as again, but as from above. This would give Jesus' statement a rather different emphasis. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born from above. And this fits the context well because Jesus goes on to explain that regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit and thus it comes from heaven. So which of these two meanings did Jesus have in mind? Was he telling Nicodemus he had to be born again or born from above? Well, probably both. Regeneration requires a new spiritual birth and this new birth comes from above and the ambiguity is probably deliberate. Jesus said something to Nicodemus that had a double meaning. No one can see the kingdom of God without being reborn from above. And this new spiritual birth is essential for salvation. 
That's what Jesus says to Nicodemus three times. He says it in verse 3. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. He says it again in verse 5. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. And then most simply of all, as we have it in verse 7, you must be born again. Jesus could hardly have made it any plainer. There is no spiritual life without supernatural rebirth. And if I can put it like this, either you are a born-again Christian or you are not a Christian at all. Now to see why this new birth is so necessary, it helps to remember what our problem is, what the problem of humanity is, the problem of the human race. That is depravity, which is just a fancy way of saying that we are lost in our sins. We can see it so clearly in this man Nicodemus, there seems to be spiritual significance in the fact that he came to Jesus at night, verse 2. This is mentioned again in chapter 19 where Nicodemus is referred to again. It's mentioned again that he came at night. Now, this is partly a historical fact. Jesus and Nicodemus met sometime in the evening. Probably Nicodemus wanted to keep things a little secret because he was afraid of what the other religious leaders might think. But John, who wrote this gospel and who loved the symbolism of light and darkness, mentions the night because it provides a clue about the man's spiritual condition. Nicodemus was the kind of man described at the end of this passage in verse 19, light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And surely Jesus had Nicodemus in mind, especially when he said these words. Oh, the night was blacker than Nicodemus knew. He was lost in the darkness, for he had not yet seen the light. The reason Nicodemus could not see the kingdom of God was because he was unregenerate. That is, he was not yet born again. It was still the kind of man Jesus went on to describe in verse 6 when he said, flesh gives birth to flesh. Flesh refers to fallen humanity and all of its frailty. And Jesus was talking about natural, physical childbirth. The only thing that one sinful human being can give birth to is another sinful human being. The problem with sinful human beings is that our minds are blind. Our wills are bound. Our hearts are bad. And as long as we remain unregenerate, we cannot see, we cannot enter, we cannot believe the kingdom of God. What we require is nothing less than a whole new spiritual life, a total transformation from our total depravity. Thomas Boston, the great Scottish preacher, compared this to the work of a skilled doctor. He said, man is, in respect of his spiritual state, altogether disjointed by sin. Every faculty of the soul is dislocated. And in regeneration, the Lord loosens every joint and sets it right again. The way the new birth sets everything right is by creating a whole new person. In regeneration, God makes a new spiritual person who is able to think and to will and to act and to believe and to feel and to live for His glory. 
Now, such regeneration may be necessary, but is it even possible? This was the second question Nicodemus had for Jesus. How can a man be born again when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. You see, Nicodemus did not understand what Jesus was saying. He doubted the possibility of the new birth. How can a man be born again? The answer is, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This is the answer salvation always gives. What is impossible for humanity in our depravity is possible for God in His grace. And here in regeneration, as in every other aspect of salvation that we have discussed in these sermons, God works solo. Jesus emphasizes this by describing the new birth the way that he does. He uses the passive voice. Look at verse 7. You must be born. That's the passive voice. The new birth is not something that a person can do for himself. It is something that must be done for him. That's simply the way that birth operates. Children never bring themselves into the world. They are always born by their mothers. And in the same way, unregenerate sinners cannot regenerate themselves no matter how much they go into labor, reading self-improvement books, keeping religious rituals, following moral codes. There is no way that they can deliver themselves new spiritual life. No new spiritual life can only come from God's Holy Spirit. And when Nicodemus doubted the possibility of such a new birth, Jesus answered by saying, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. And he goes on to say in verse 6, the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You see, regeneration is possible because it is the work of God's Holy Spirit. It is a gift of God's saving grace. It is God's Spirit who brings God's children into God's family by this spiritual rebirth. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said, born of water and the Spirit? It's a difficult phrase. Many different interpretations have been offered. Some say the water refers to physical birth. Others take it as a reference to baptism, although it is doubtful whether that would have made much sense to Nicodemus. The third interpretation is that the water refers to God's Word. If so, then Jesus meant that the new birth comes in response to the teaching of the Bible. And this is certainly a biblical truth. The Apostle Peter wrote, For you have been born again through the living Word of God. New spiritual life is conceived by the dissemination of God's Word. The first Inclination of spiritual life comes into existence through the Bible as it is read and as it is preached and as it is taught. That interpretation makes good sense of the passage, but I think perhaps that a fourth interpretation is the most likely of all. D.A. Carson argues that we should think of the water and the Spirit together as a unity, not so much as two separate things, but as one thing taken together. This is actually indicated by the grammar of the verse, which does not say born of the water and of the Spirit, but born of water and Spirit. 
So water and spirit are not so much two different things, but two words that together describe the purification of a sinner. This would have made a special sense to a Pharisee like Nicodemus, because the Pharisees carefully followed all the biblical regulations for purification. As one of Israel's teachers, the Reverend Dr. Nicodemus should have known that he needed to be purified from the inside out. He should have heard in Jesus' words an echo from the prophet Ezekiel, for whom God had promised to give his people a clean, new spiritual heart. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Well, whatever Jesus specifically had in mind when he told Nicodemus that he had to be born of water and spirit, he meant that the power of the new birth comes from above. Only God can change a sinner's heart. Therefore, every Christian testimony is a story of being reborn from above. Let me give you just two examples. The first comes from the Bible. It occurred during Paul's first missionary journey to Philippi. On the first Sabbath in that city, Paul went to speak to a group of women who had gathered down by the river to pray. We read in Acts chapter 16 that one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Scripture says, The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. It goes on to say that Lydia became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can see what enabled her to believe was the regenerating work of God's Spirit. The Lord opened her heart. And as she listened to the message of salvation, there came an instant when she was born again, when she was transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit within. Another example of this kind of spiritual rebirth comes from church history. It's the story of Martin Luther. Like Lydia, Luther received the new birth while he was studying the Scriptures. He had been trying to figure out what the Bible means when it says, the righteous will live by faith. Luther was afraid of the righteousness of God because he knew that he himself was unrighteous, and therefore how could he live? Then in a sudden flash of spiritual insight, he realized that God offered his righteousness as a gift that sinners could receive by faith. This is how Luther described his spiritual transformation. Now I felt as though I had been immediately born anew and had entered paradise itself. From that moment, the face of Scripture as a whole became clear to me. My mind ran through the sacred books as far as I was able to recollect them, seeking the strength and the salvation and the glory of God. Now, anyone who has experienced this new birth, the kind of new birth that Lydia experienced, the kind of new birth that Luther experienced, anyone who has experienced that can testify that it is the most wonderful thing that ever happened. What it brings is nothing less than life after spiritual death. It enables blind eyes to see and broken hearts to believe. It frees the will from bondage to sin. This is the regeneration, say the canons of the Synod of Dort. The new creation, the raising from the dead, and the making alive so clearly proclaimed in the Scriptures, which God works in us without our help. It is an entirely supernatural work 
one that is at the same time most powerful and most pleasing, a marvelous, hidden, and inexpressible work, which is not inferior in power to that of creation or of raising the dead. Now, this new birth is necessary. Necessary because no one can receive eternal life without it. And it is possible, possible because God is able to do impossible things, like save sinners who seem beyond hope of salvation. But how can this new birth be obtained? And I think in verse 9, Nicodemus is asking Jesus about its availability. How can this be? This was Nicodemus' third question, and what brought it to mind was the comparison that Jesus made between the Holy Spirit and the wind. You can see it there in verse 7 and verse 8. Jesus was trying to show the mystery of God's sovereignty and regeneration. He said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going, and so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And What makes this analogy so especially effective is the fact that in the Greek language, wind and breath and spirit are all expressed by the same word, pneuma. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God, whose influence is as mysterious as the wind. No one can control the wind or even see it, and yet its effects are obvious wherever it blows, and so it is with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the supernatural origin of all spiritual life. No one can control His gracious influences. No one can see when He first slips into a sinner's heart. The effects immediately become obvious. The sinner is born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if all of that is true, then how does someone become a born-again Christian? It seems as if everything is up to God. If the Spirit blows wherever He pleases, then how can I get Him to breathe new life into me? As Nicodemus put it, how can this be? He was saying something like this, I must be born again, but how can I, since I cannot give birth to myself? Sinclair Ferguson, who has sometimes preached from this pulpit, describes the dilemma by saying, the one thing needful is almost the only thing outside our power to perform. What we must do is something we cannot do, which is to give ourselves new spiritual life. Now, according to Jesus, a man like Nicodemus should have known better. He should have understood from the Scriptures that salvation does not come by human effort. It only comes by divine grace. Jesus said, verse 10, You are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, but still you do not accept our testimony. Jesus told Nicodemus what his problem was. It was very simple. The reason he couldn't understand what Jesus was saying was because he lacked faith. Nicodemus believed neither Jesus nor his word. You can see it there in verse 11. He refused to trust Jesus' testimony. Verse 12, he wouldn't even believe what Jesus told him. And if Nicodemus wanted to understand what Jesus was saying about the new birth, and more than that, if Nicodemus wanted to experience that new birth for himself, he had to put his whole trust in Jesus. Salvation comes by grace through faith. 
The only way to receive new spiritual life is by trusting in Jesus Christ. And that's why at the end of this conversation, Jesus called Nicodemus to trust in him for salvation. Just as Moses, this is verse 14, lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Obviously, Jesus was speaking about the cross where he would be lifted up to die for sin. He described that crucifixion in terms that Nicodemus could understand. He used an illustration from the Old Testament. After the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt, they traveled around Edom, and along the way they grew impatient and complained against God. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the desert, they said. While they were grumbling, God sent poisonous snakes among them, and many people died, and the people realized that they had sinned, and so they asked Moses what they could do to be saved. Moses prayed for their salvation. And in response, God said, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. Moses did what God commanded. He made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. You can see that story was about salvation from sin and all its deadly consequences. Jesus used it to explain to Nicodemus the message of salvation. Like the children of Israel, we ourselves are liable to die for our sins, but Jesus has come to save us. First, he had to be lifted up. It's a phrase John uses four times in his gospel. It refers primarily to the Roman cross where Christ was crucified. And now, even now, everyone who looks to Jesus and to his cross will live. Christ crucified is like the bronze serpent in the wilderness. To look at him in faith is to live. You see, this really was the answer to the last question that Nicodemus asked Jesus. Remember the question. It was about the availability of the new birth. If regeneration is a work of God's sovereign grace, then how can I be born again? Rather than giving the man a five-step plan for spiritual rebirth, Jesus told Nicodemus very simply to trust in him for his salvation. Everyone who believes in the crucified Christ will receive eternal life. Understand this. God does not call sinners to believe the doctrine of regeneration. It's not the new birth that he calls us to believe in. He calls us to faith in Jesus Christ. And so what we preach is not so much the new birth, but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Oh, God tells us about the new birth so that we'll see our need for regeneration and to understand what work the Holy Spirit is doing to transform us. But what God calls us to do is to trust in Jesus Christ. And it is as sinners look to Christ for their salvation that they discover that they are born again by God's Spirit. What about our friend Nicodemus? Did he ever look to Christ for his salvation? Well, there is very good reason to think that he was reborn from above by God's Spirit. The last time we encounter Nicodemus in the Gospels, he is at the cross where the Son of Man was lifted up to die. And there Nicodemus came with Joseph of Arimathea to take Jesus' body and to bury it in the tomb. 
The best explanation for these courageous actions is that Nicodemus was born again by God's Spirit. But what about you? Are you a born-again Christian? Have you received eternal life by faith? Have you looked to Jesus and to His cross for your salvation? One snowy Sunday morning, a young man was on his way to church. When he trudged down a side street and came to a little chapel, he went in and saw a preacher mounting the pulpit to preach. It turned out that the preacher was not actually a minister, but a common laborer. Though his grammar and diction left much to be desired in the man's mind, he spoke earnestly and directly to his audience of only twelve. Finally, the preacher looked directly at this young man who was sitting under the gallery and said, Young man, you look very miserable, and you will always be miserable if you don't obey my text. Look to Jesus Christ. You have nothing to do but to look and to live. And at those words, the young man, whose name was Charles Spurgeon, was born again. He looked to Christ in faith, and he received eternal life. And you too can receive the eternal life God promises to all his born-again children. All you need to do is look to Christ, and you will live. Our Father in heaven, we give you praise for Jesus Christ our Savior, who was lifted up to die for our sins. And we give you praise as well for the Holy Spirit who takes the things of Christ and makes them ours. We pray for the work of the Holy Spirit among us. We pray that some among our number may come to faith in Christ and that we all may grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You're listening to Every Last Word with Bible teacher Dr. Philip Ryken, a listener-supported ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance exists to promote a biblical understanding and worldview, drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformed theologians from decades and even centuries gone by. We seek to provide Christian teaching that will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. Alliance Broadcasting includes the Bible Study Hour with Dr. James Boyce, Every Last Word with Bible Teacher Dr. Philip Ryken, God's Living Word with Pastor the Reverend Richard Phillips, and Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible, featuring Donald Barnhouse. For more information on the Alliance, including a free introductory package for first-time callers, or to make a contribution, please call toll-free 1-800-488-488. 1888. Again, that's 1-800-488-1888. You can also write the Alliance at Box 2000, Philadelphia, PA, 19103. Or you can visit us online at AllianceNet.org. Ask for your free resource catalog featuring books, audio, commentaries, booklets, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians. Thank you again for your continued support of this ministry.